Support for this podcast and the following message come from Georgetown School of Continuing Studies, where you can earn a master's degree or professional certificate downtown or online. All options, all Georgetown. Learn more at scs.georgetown.edu. In 2018, Netflix had a big hit with its adaptation of Jenny Han's YA novel to All the Boys I've Loved Before, a high school rom-com with a big heart. Stars Lena Condor and Noah Centineo are now back in the sequel to All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You. Before you check that one out, we wanted to revisit our conversation about To All the Boys I've Loved Before, so stick around. This message comes from NPR sponsor Indeed. When it comes to hiring, you need help getting to your short list of qualified candidates fast. With Indeed.com, you can post a job in minutes, set up screener questions, then zero in on qualified candidates using an intuitive online dashboard. And when you need to hire fast, accelerate your results with sponsored jobs. New users can try for free at Indeed.com slash happy hour. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. Offer valid through March 31st, 2020. Welcome back. I'm Linda Holmes. I'm here at NPR headquarters in Washington, and the rest of our wonderful panel is up in New York in the room that I would love to be in right now. First, from NPR's Code Switch, Kat Chow. Hey, Kat. Hey. And also with us, the co-host of the podcast, The Nod, Brittany Luce. Hey, Brittany. Hello. And finally, a writer and editor at Complex, not to mention a radio DJ in her spare time, Kiana Fitzgerald. Hi, Kiana. Hey, Linda. I am so excited that you are all here and to give anyone listening just enough information about the film without telling you too much. It relies on romantic conventions like Peter and Lara Jean fake dating. There are notes that go astray that Lara Jean writes, love notes, and there's misplaced jealousy. There's lots and lots of longing. There's maybe just a little bit of kissing. Just a little. Well. (laughs) Kat, I'm going to start with you. What was your reaction to this film when you first saw it? At first, I mean, I love rom-coms. And as you know, I mean, I love binging everything rom-com related. And so when I first started watching this, I just couldn't get over how tender the relationship between Lara Jean Covey and Peter Kavinsky was. And I just kept squealing about it. And I was watching it with my I was watching it with my fiance and I kept saying, oh my God, Peter Kavinsky is so dreamy. And I just felt this nostalgia because I kind of related to Lara Jean, not just because she's Asian American in the movie, but because She's got that whole introvert thing going on, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But I adored it. I thought that there were so many moments where you were like, I wish someone would look at me like Peter Kavinsky. (laughs) (laughs) I wish wish someone would move the popcorn for my sister when having a a pillow fight on the couch. Oh, yeah. I I loved it. Responsible, (laughs) responsible boy he is because he moves the popcorn out of the way so the pillow fight doesn't make a mess. What more can you ask? I ask you. <laughs> right. There's nothing else. Nothing. How about you, Brittany? What'd you think? Um, I loved it. And I'd seen the trailer previously, and I was interested in it because I, I also love rom-coms. I'm crazy about them, and my boyfriend does too. But then I was looking at my Twitter feed all weekend, and I saw all these grown black women freaking out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, you have to see this movie. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right, I'll check it out. And at first... I was like, I don't know. I wasn't sure if I was necessarily going to be able to relate to Lara Jean because I'm actually a uh, shocker. I'm not very introverted. But I, I, I appreciated the fact that she was really confident and that, like, like her introversion didn't show up as her being, like, a doormat. 
Right. Like she knew when to stand up for herself. Right. Um, she knew when to sort of like make her presence known. A place where I did relate to her is like being... I was going to say younger, not that much younger, like basically before my, I met my boyfriend three years ago, still feeling like I didn't know when I could tell if a boy liked me and like afraid to share my feelings. Yeah. Like there were so many themes in there that I felt resonated with me as an adult. And and most importantly, going back to the point about Peter being tender, one of the things I loved about the film that was way different than the ones that, that we all kind of grew up with, like She's All That yeah. and, and those types of films, everybody just really wanted to be as nice to each other as possible. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it didn't actually like, it made it so that being mean or having like bad intentions wasn't ever a part of the plot like there was still a lot of interesting stuff going on but everybody was really kind and respectful to each other for the most part and it was just so refreshing and it made me feel so cozy yeah I agree how about you Kiana cozy quite cozy it was (laughs) it was really really fun to just be able to sit with a movie that I related to the main character in such a direct way Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, growing up, I was an introvert. I was someone that pretty much kept to myself when it came to dating, when it came to even friendships with people who didn't, you know, fall directly in the silos that I did. So it was really refreshing to just see someone reflected back at me that had the same experiences with people, the same moments where I was like, oh, does this boy like me? Or, you know, I have a crush on... I looked in my diary before I got here and I remember specifically (laughs) I was like 13 or 14 when I had this diary and I wrote 18 names of boys that I had crushes on. And yeah, I was wilding out. But um, the thing is like, I remember like having crushes on people and being like, oh my gosh, I want someone to like me back. And then just like, you know, keeping it to myself because I don't want people thinking I'm crazy. And then the letters for her got out and I was like, oh my God. Like I could not imagine. If that list got out. Yeah. Oh my, if that list got out. But maybe you would have found a Peter Kavinsky though. Maybe I would have found a Peter Kavinsky. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, so I just, I really related to Lara Jean and I thought it was a really really beautiful adorable movie mm-hmm. yeah I remembered while I was watching this that it wasn't a list of names of boys but I remembered that I when I was probably 13 I had a book that I wrote poems in and I took it with me I was at summer camp and I realized at some point that people had found it because they were mm. making comments. They would, like, quote lines to me. Oh, no. And oh, I realized gosh. that they had found it and, like, a bunch of them had sat around and read it together. Oh, no. What? And I was super upset. It was one of those moments where you're just so completely mortified. Right. And those moments of revealing something about yourself, because the way that she writes these letters, they function like a diary. They're letters to boys, but she... She doesn't send them. She puts them in a box. And so it is that moment of kind of as a teenager realizing that all of a sudden all these feelings that you're trying to deal with by writing them down, if you're the kind of person who deals with your feelings by writing them down, it does feel very threatening to have a bunch of people suddenly know all about them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think it is about Peter Kavinsky other than the word tender, which I completely agree with, (laughs) totally agree with? Why is he like, and this is what I wrote in our notes, why is he like the Timothy Chalamet of Netflix YA? Like all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, he's amazing. Because Noah Centineo, you know, was on a few seasons of The Fosters, but he wasn't like a gigantic star. And now he's like 
the star of Twitter. (laughs) I well, so I watched SPF 18 last night, which is a movie that he was in that came out in 2017. It is a much different than than, uh, to all the boys. And I would say Noah's performance is a little different. I mean, Uh he's, he's still great. But I think for me, what solidified that he was not just some lacrosse bro in the movie and that he had more depth was when Peter Kavinsky and Lara Jean started bonding about their parents. And I kept thinking, oh, there's Mm -hmm. much more to this relationship. And there's also so much more that he brings to the role where, I don't know, I've read a lot of mixed reviews about him, but I think that the humor that he adds to things has really added elements where there's some discussion about the whole hand in the pockets thing, Mm -hmm. where I think where Lara Jean and Peter Kavinsky agree that one of the things that they can do as, you know, in their relationship without giving too much away is they can put their hands in each other's butt pockets, (laughs) which I think is such a charming middle school thing. Um, But there is a scene where Noah Centennial just did this on his own where he somehow picks up Lana Condor and he spins her around with her, his hand in her butt pocket. Yeah, it was wow. very artful. <laughs> yeah, it was very artful. artful. Exactly. I, don't, I don't know. So, I mean, I guess I kind of went from being like, okay, so Peter Kavinsky as a character is really cool. But then actually, wait, the actor himself, he just seems really at ease in this role as charming boy. Yeah. Charming mm. man. I'm sorry. Charming man. Oh. Charming young man. Young man. I'll there we take go. It. I'll take it. I'll take it. Charming young man. I really felt like Peter was equally affable and charming. He was very handsome. He was very striking as a character, but it was, you know, in the moments where, like Kat said, where he had the just the wherewithal to understand that Lara Jean was coming from a very, like, in some ways broken place. You know, her mother is no longer there and his father is no longer in his life. So they're both coming from this place where they have this emptiness. And that was a moment that solidified it to me where like I was I was all in. I was like, okay, this kid gets it. I think like he was so I think he was really emotionally aware in a way that like they didn't necessarily call too much attention to in the film, which I liked because I'm like, please indoctrinate these young kids with like better like emotional relation skills than we have. But like (laughs) when he decided to open up about his father or um, there's a scene where they're on a ski trip and they're having a conversation about like I think him trying to let Lara Jean know that he really likes her. He's equal parts confident, but but also vulnerable, which is, I think, a thing that's hard for a lot of boys to do. It's hard for a lot of grown men to do. It's hard for a lot of grown people to do. He does a really good job sort of like modeling the behavior that he would like to see from Lara Jean and wanting yeah. to be closer to her. Yeah. Um, like he does a really, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like with the yogurt, like yeah. sort of letting her know like, hey, I did this thing because I really like you and I want you to know that I went through the trouble to make you feel seen. Mm-hmm. I thought that Peter mm-hmm. Kavinsky's character was such a, um, he was so good at sort of getting to her without making her feel totally uncomfortable. So he sort of like pulled her out of her comfort zone in a way that was so respectful that I just, right. it, like it was just, it touched me so deeply. Yeah. Yeah, he never pushed. He never never pushed. pushed. I think the obstacle for them, you know, a romantic comedy always has an obstacle. For much of the film, the obstacle is really her getting comfortable with how much he likes her. Mm. Because after Mm. the beginning, there is a certain amount of like smart alecky banter at the beginning. But once you get through kind of that opening act, by the middle, it's pretty clear that he really is into her and he's communicating that he's really into her. And so it's sort of about her being able to be okay with, and I think this is a lot of what you guys are talking about with kind of vulnerability and being able to accept somebody's attention. But a lot of it is really just about her kind of 
just learning to feel like it's a normal thing for somebody who's really cute to be really into her. Yeah. Mm. yeah. One of the other things that I thought was so interesting is that there was a piece in in the New York Times where Jenny Han talked about the fact that a lot of the places that wanted to adapt the book a lot of the production companies kind of said, well, she doesn't necessarily need to be Asian right. American, does she? Like she could mm-hmm. be because in the book, her mother who has passed away is Korean American, but her father is white. She said that in those conversations, it was a lot of like, well, it'll just be the best person and maybe it'll be an Asian American actress. Maybe it won't because like it doesn't really, quote unquote, matter to the story. She talked about going with, like, the one production company that understood, like, no, I want to cast an Asian-American actress. Mm -hmm. And then there's a it goes together nicely with an interview with Lana Condor where she talks about seeing the casting notice and being so excited because she felt like I actually have an opportunity to get this part because they're specifically looking for an Asian-American actress. I mean, so when I saw that interview, I think I was still coming off of the high of Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> and I was thinking about how The Hollywood Reporter revealed that Kevin Kwan basically optioned the rights to his book, Crazy Rich Asians, for a dollar because he wanted to be able to have the story told the way that he wanted it, where, you know, certain characters remained Asian. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that Jenny Han went with the one production company that agreed mm. to let her have that because I think it it makes such a huge difference because I mean when you guys were teens did you <laughs> did you read books like this and like did you ever feel seen or represented uh, yeah, there were a couple, but mm-hmm. like it was like I mean, I always wished that they would turn into a movie or something like that, and that never really happened. Yeah, but like it's I remember there was one called Dancer. I think it might have been by Lori Hewitt. The main character was this black girl who was a ballet dancer, and she like fell in love with this guy, and she was like trying to go to college and all this stuff like that. And it was like I think I read that over and over again between the ages of thirteen and seventeen, just because there wasn't really anything else like that out there that spoke to like. A regular middle class black girl, like who, you know, was just like falling in love and, you know, following her dreams or whatever. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I didn't have any experience with anything that made me feel seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always me kind of doing these mental gymnastics to fit myself into other people's narratives that didn't fit me. You know, I had heard the, you know, the reports of, you know, Crazy Rich Asians and then also this movie having to twist and turn and like take these these side roads to get to the final point. And it was so nice to see someone different. Like they don't even have to look like me, just the fact that they are someone else and not the same person, the same type of person that is always, always, always put into these lead roles. I couldn't imagine watching this movie with someone else, even the the yogurt moment. Like what will we have? done without that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that was such an important part of the story. Well, and the thing is, it's one of those things where once you get past the idea that a white character kind of doesn't have any characteristics, do you know what I mean? Like, that's just just a quote unquote person. Like, that's just a it doesn't matter who it is. Right. Then you start to realize that even though, quote unquote, it doesn't matter to the story, there are elements of her family, like the fact that her dad is always trying to make Korean food and he's not that good at it and the yogurt thing and a few other things. It's like it does matter to the story in the sense that and this is really what Jenny said in the New York Times piece is like that's her that's her identity. That's who she is. It's not a matter of like you couldn't tell a similar story with a different person, but 
it's definitely part of who the character is, you know. I also really liked the fact that in this story, you so often see sisters who are either fighting all the time and then they have a big, big reconciliation or they're kind of totally about jealousy of each other and things like that. I loved the fact that these three sisters, she has a, Lara Jean has an older sister and a younger sister. They see each other as like their closest allies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. One of the things I love that they subtly touched on with this movie, regardless of what they've done or how they've made you feel, sometimes there are just certain lines with your siblings that you're never going to cross. And I love that they were able to create tension and drama mm-hmm. between Lara Jean and her older sister, Margot, without having something catastrophic or really disrespectful or really, really sad happening. Right. right. Like Lara Jean had a specific moral that she wanted to stick to as far as, you know, crushes and boys and things like that out of respect for her older sister and her feelings. And she never wavered on that throughout the entire film, no matter, you know, what the circumstance mm-hmm. may have been. And they didn't make a big deal out of it. It was just like, like Lara Jean's going to be decent because like everyone in this movie is pretty decent for the most part. Yeah. Lara Jean was going to do the right thing by her sisters regardless. Right. Of and Margot also trusted that Lara Jean, I mean, she might have been initially upset by something that happened, but she ultimately trusted that Lara Jean actually had good intentions. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really important dynamic to show, especially in YA. Yeah. yeah. I also think it's just like a very POC thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as far as like family bonds and like people sticking together and your family being your closest allies. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this last night with my boyfriend and another friend of ours. Like people of color fall in love. You know what I'm saying? We fall in love and we can have beautiful relationships and we can have feelings. And it doesn't always have to be like the middle of the Korean War. It doesn't always have to be like like the civil rights movement. I mean, those stories are important too, right? But it's just like the everyday sort of like mundane, I have a crush on a boy in high school thing. Like it's so nice to see a young girl of color Mm -hmm. in that position. Like I'm so used to putting myself in the shoes, like you said, Kiana, of of white people in romantic situations in, in so many films. I'm like used to seeing things, like used to not just seeing people that look like me on screen and relating to them. But it is something different that even though I'm a black woman, I'm not, you know, Korean American like Lara Jean um, in the film, but like I still feel something when I watch her falling in love with Peter Kaminsky on screen. I can't quite describe it because it's not like how I felt when I saw Black Panther. <laughs> but yeah, it, it does feel different. It feels good. It, yeah. it really excites me. And yeah. um, I read the books right after I I saw the movie a couple times. And so there is a plot line in the movie that I think the book touches a little bit more where it's a lot about consent and how we shame women for desiring, you know, sex or anything mm-hmm. sexual. And I think that that is a really important plot point that I hope that they get into a little bit more when they make more films out of this. Yeah. If they do the sequel and the third. Oh, God, I hope they do. Well, and Lara Jean's father talks to her about birth control and stuff like yes. that. Yes. Condoms. Uh, you know, in, yeah. case, <laughs> in case that's what she wants to do. And I thought that was really interesting. And it, the film is such a continuation of a tradition of teen movies in a way that I also thought was so sweet and appealing. I think the the song that plays under the very end of the movie reminds me a lot of If You Leave from the end of Pretty in Pink. There mm. And Jenny Han did a series of like little boomerangs where yes. she had the cast reenact <laughs> like a thing from 10 Things I Hate About You and a thing from oh, Breakfast yeah. Club yes. and some other stuff. And I think it really lives in that tradition and that makes it really, really nice too. 
Oh gosh, it's so good. It's so romantic. It's so good. It's so romantic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Kat at Kat Chow. You can follow Brittany at BM Loose. And you can follow Kiana at Kiana Fitz. Come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. And tell us, as if we don't know how much you love to all the boys I've loved before. Thanks to all three of you for being here, by which I mean up there in New York together. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. And of course, thank you for listening. We will be back here on Friday. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That will help more folks to find the show. We will see you all back here on Friday. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, host of How I Built This from NPR. And on our latest episode, how Julia Hartz and her husband Kevin launched their ticketing platform, Eventbrite, from a closet in a San Francisco warehouse, and today, manage events in 170 countries around the world. Listen now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the NPR Wine Club, where every bottle tells a story and NPR shows become wines, like Weekend Edition Cabernet Sauvignon. Available to adults 21 years or older. Learn more at nprwineclub.org.